The scripture for this morning is from Psalm 46, verse 10. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. This is the word of the Lord. Okay, this is the pastor speaking, so don't lie. For how many of you, when we were doing that guided prayer time, was it challenging to some degree? Raise your hand. Okay? A lot of you. Uh, It was for me a little more this time than it was the first hour. I don't know why, but I was allowing some distractions to, to enter in. And that's the challenge of finding times to be silent and and being blessed by it, by going into it with the right spirit. But we got to realize just how powerful silence is. The great missionary martyr of the 20th, 20th century, Jim Elliott, said, I think the devil has made it his business to monopolize on three elements, noise, hurry, crowds. Satan is quite aware of the power of silence. It's a powerful tool. In fact, it can be really a powerful weapon by which we use love to reach people and deliver them from the evil one. So, that being said, this is the first in a three-part series about the Sabbath prayer that was really originated by Richard Foster, the great author of books like Celebration of Discipline and Prayer, Finding the Heart's True Home. And he discovered this prayer really was delivered, had it delivered to him by the Spirit, And it's very simple. It is simply this. Be still, rest, shalom. Be still, rest, shalom. And we'll focus on this first phrase this week and then the others later. Talking about be still. Now, it was in the early 1990s, Richard Foster was uh, at a conference. It was on the Canadian coast, the Pacific side of the Canadian coast. And they were in this intense conference, and they were on a break time. And he remembered what his wife said to him before he left to go to this conference, come back refreshed, because he was at a point of burnout. And so when there was this break time, he actually was walking along this trail and found a canoe and paddled over to this real tiny island that was close by, and he walked through the beautiful fir trees there. And at the crown of the island, he found a wooden platform with a comfortable chair there. At least it looked comfortable. It was an old weathered chair, but it looked comfy. And sure enough, he kind of flopped down into it, and it felt great. So he decided just to have some silent, solitude prayer time there. And he remembered what his wife had told him to do, come back refreshed. And so he lifted his hands and just said, Lord, refresh me refresh me. And he sat in silence for a while. And then he said, the Spirit came and spoke to him and said, I want to teach you Sabbath prayer. And Foster thought, this is great. And he leaned forward and waited and waited. And finally he said, Lord, help me. I'm not sure what to do here. And he said, then came these words, be still, rest, shalom. It was just those words, no more. And so he sat there just kind of going through that prayer over and over again. But he said it was challenging because suddenly he would be distracted by something. I better get back soon because people are going to wonder where I am. I better get back soon. I've got people I need to meet and connect with. I need to get back soon because I have some things to do. I need to get back because I have some work that's due back when I get back, and I was going to work on it here. I need to get back. I need to. I need to. I need to. And these words kept flooding back. Be still. 
rest, shalom. And he vowed to practice that prayer regularly and faithfully. And I want to challenge us to practice that prayer faithfully, if not using those very same words, some similar words that bring us to a place of Sabbath rest. Now, how do we do that? Well, first of all, we think of some Scripture that might help us along, and when you see the phrase, be still, you cannot help but think about what? Psalm 46.10, which Lydia read, which says what? Be still and know that I am God. Now, what do we do to experience and be blessed by Sabbath prayer? That's really what we want to talk about this morning. And first of all, give up your control. (laughs) This is the toughest part, really. You can't do anything until you give up your own control. You really cannot savor Sabbath prayer. You really cannot savor um, silent prayer or, or what oftentimes in the South is called quiet time. We can't do that until we really relinquish our control and give it over to God. You know, the rest of Psalm 46 really is a backdrop to that one verse in verse 10 where God speaks. All the rest of it is commentary by the psalmist who wrote it. And it's really describing God and His majesty and His power. All these different aspects about God leading up to that verse where God quotes Himself, be still and know that I am God. But the rest of it is a backdrop. It really starts out, in a sense, with chaos. Look, look, look at the first three verses here, verses one through three. God is our refuge and strength, always ready to help in times of trouble. That's great. How do we know that? Well, we will not fear when earthquakes come and mountains crumble into the sea. Chaos. And I love the third verse. Let the oceans roar and form. Let the mountains tremble as waters surge. What that's saying is what? Ah, oh, let them come. Let it happen. You know why? God's in control. He's got it. No problem. No need to worry. He can handle it. He created these mighty movements of the earth. There's this wonderful contrast that you find as you go on in verses 6 and 7. Let's look at that. The nations are in chaos, and their kingdoms crumble. But in contrast to that, what can God do? God's voice thunders and the earth melts. The Lord of heaven's armies is here among us. The God of Israel is our fortress. Even when there is chaos all about, no need to worry. In the silence of moments, trust that He is there and He is in charge. And there's really a refrain for uh, verse 7 if you go on to verse 11. Same thing. The Lord of heaven's armies is here among us. The God of Israel is our fortress. End of psalm. But leading all the way up to that verse 10, and then an echo of what had been leading up to it in verse 7, you have the wonderful verse, be still and know that I am God. But it's only when you and I can can give up our control and really be still, then we can understand that He is with us. Really, what it takes is knowing that He is God and letting God be God and not ourselves. Bottom line, that's the difficult thing because it's hard for you and me to stop moving, stop talking, stop, stop our minds that are going a mile a minute, and just remember who He is, and in doing so, be still. Because that's why silence is hard for us to deal with sometimes. I think Richard Foster puts it so well. He says, one reason we can hardly bear to remain silent is that it makes us feel so helpless. We are so accustomed to relying upon words to manage and control others. If we are silent, who will take control? God will take control. 
but we will never let him take control until we trust him. Silence is intimately related to trust. And not to be comfortable with silence reveals how badly we're trusting sometimes, and it's revealing even more how badly you and I want to be God, bottom line. We want to be in control, which leads me to a story I heard years ago when I was pastor of a country church, and there was an associational meeting, and I heard a country preacher get up there, and I'm just feeling country right now, so I'm going to share it this way. He called it the barnyard tragedy. There was a rooster, and every morning when the sun came up, the rooster would wake up and crow out, and he'd wake up all the sheep and the goats and the cows and the hens and even the farmer and the farmer's wife. This is southern Indiana, by the way. Okay. Every morning the sun came up and he crowed, and and he did that every morning, but then suddenly the rooster came to some foul logic. (laughs) I'm sorry. He said the rooster reversed cause and effect. The rooster forgot that he crowed because the sun came up and started to think that the sun came up because he crowed. Well, what happened? First of all, he became an insomniac rooster because he thought, if I don't wake up, the sun won't come up. And eventually he got carried to the home for disturbed roosters. That's how he ended it. Why? Because he thought the world depended on him crowing. Do you see where we're going with that? We ourselves fool ourselves into thinking that the world depends on us. And we so want control that we get to the point that we think the world depends on us. No, be still and know that God is God. And I love literally in the Hebrew, and Hebrew, as you know, is this wonderful uh, uh, graphic, uh, figurative, uh, uh, really not so much figurative as earthy language. And be still literally means in the Hebrew, right here in verse 10 of Psalm 46, be still means let your hands down. Let your hands hang down. We might just say, relax, but I love that image. Stop trying to control everything and just put it down. God is our refuge, as the psalm begins. You know, let him be in charge. Let your hands hang down. But we don't want that. We want to use our hands to what? To to, to manipulate and and to defend ourselves and, and to fix things. We want to control things, manipulate things. And it feels too vulnerable if we drop our hands to our sides and yield over to him and cease striving. But that's what God's saying, relax, put your arms down, and give up that control. So we need to give up control, give up your control. If we don't get beyond that, we really don't savor not just silent prayer, but I would say any prayer. But secondly, when speaking specifically about silent prayer, you need to find your silent space. After those opening verses about the power of God over earthquakes and landslides and and, and oceans and tidal waves, the psalmist suddenly shifts and paints this beautiful, tranquil picture, real peaceful. Let's look at verses 4 and 5. There is a river brings joy to the city of our God, the sacred home of the Most High. God dwells in that city. It cannot be destroyed. From the very break of day, God will protect it. It's a beautiful depiction of peace 
in the midst of chaos. And that is what silence, that is what times of quiet, prayers in solitude can do for you and me and bring points of peace in the midst of chaos. I love the way Richard Foster describes it. He says, the Sabbath prayer can place us in the eye of the storm. When all around us is chaos and confusion, deep within we know stability and serenity. In the midst of intense personal struggle, we are still relaxed. While a thousand frustrations seek to distract us, we remain focused and attentive. This is the fruit of Sabbath prayer. And there's a wonderful promise here. Put verses 4 and 5 up. Again, there is a river brings joy to the city of our God. City connotes people. It connotes you. You're a part of that city. There's a river brings joy to the city of our God, the sacred home of the Most High. God dwells in that city in which you and I find ourselves. It cannot be destroyed. From the very break of day, God will protect it. There's a marvelous, marvelous promise there. You are a part of that city. You're protected in that city. In other words, If he is your God, and you know he is God, you dwell in that city wherever you might be, wherever you go. And you can find that city in your silent space at any time. Now, you might think when we talk about, you know, this be still and know that I'm God, you might think that be still literally means be physically still. And I think sometimes we need to do that with our prayers. I think Jesus is our example with that. We'll get to that in a minute. But sometimes being still before God and praying a Sabbath prayer in silence doesn't mean literally having to be still. Sometimes it involves motion. The great church father of the 5th century, St. John Cassian, led a host of monks. He was really their spiritual director. But at times of prayer, he instructed them to weave baskets as they prayed and meditated. Why? Because he understood that sometimes a little physical movement can foster greater stillness of mind. And depending on your wiring and my wiring, some of us are more wired to have a lot of things going on at some point. And we're really more at ease in some ways that way. You know, we're not as distracted as some people are. Some of us are better at just being still and silent. Some of us need a little motion or mental activity, and that actually helps us to be focused, to be stilled in our mind. So your, your silent space could be driving in your car. Uh, it could be driving in your car even with a lot of traffic because you're having to be attentive, and it's kind of making your mind more keen. It, it could be walking. It was for St. Augustine. St. Augustine had a wonderful phrase, Salvatore abulando, it is solved by walking. Isn't that great? Sometimes you just need to go on a walk and get away, and you might have a certain route you take, a certain way you go, or a certain place you go, and that walking ministers to you in silence. It can be running, it can be cycling for my brother-in-law, it's woodworking, that's really his time of prayer. It can be creating, building something for uh, Carl Worley, who for years was a missionary and then taught in our religion department at Sanford, he would go to his garage and tinker on the same old car, that old jalopy, for decades. And that was his prayer time. That was his silent space. So your silent space can actually involve movement. But we need, I would say, a silent space where you can go and be physically still. Matthew 6, 6 Jesus says, go into your inner room, close your door, and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. You get this picture, really, of going to some place, closing the door, whether literally or figuratively, and you're still. 
and you can find where that silent space is for you, and it might be a space where uh, someone in Scripture would go, because again, it doesn't have to be inside. For Isaac, the son of Abraham, it was a field he would always go to. For King David, it was a cave. For Hezekiah, it was his own bedchamber. It was his own bedroom. Elijah had a small upstairs room uh, that an elderly couple had, and he would go up there, upstairs, to pray. Peter used to go up on the roof to have his time of quiet. For you, it could be any of those, or it could be a coffee shop. Uh, It could be a certain room in the house. It can be somewhere outside. You pick it. The important thing to remember as you pick it is just... Trust that God will be there to greet you because you're a part of that city of which Psalm speaks. He'll meet you wherever you are. Now, will you have an epiphany experience every time? No. Will you be, though, bolstering and fostering that wonderful relationship you have with God? Yes. Over the long haul, will you sense his protection and his guidance and his control and his revelations? Yes. And over the long haul, and really in each and every moment, are you blessing God back and glorifying Him just by doing this? Absolutely. But oftentimes, what I find, it's just so great to celebrate the silence. The silence. And listening for God in the silence. Richard Foster puts it this way. He says, in the quiet, listen for the thunder of God's silence. So again, we've got to give up our control and then find that silent space. Sometimes it might be going on a walk, but we ought to find a place where we can regularly go and just have what we call a quiet time. Now, I'm from Louisville, which is more of a Yankee town. I know it's just south of the Mason-Dixon line, but I had never heard of a quiet time up there. And I, I grew up in a Baptist church that was more like Episcopalian. I came down here, oh, I'm going to go, I went to start it at, at Sanford, and I heard people say, I'm going to have, go have my quiet time. Quiet time? What is Quiet time? And I have come to appreciate it and love it. And we need to go find that silent space. So again, we got to give up our control, put our hands down. We got to go find that place of silence where we can pray. And thirdly, and this is significant to me, we need to reach others out of our silence. Reach others out of your silence. Now, I still am getting my head wrapped around this, to be honest, but there's so much written about it. Bottom line, what am I saying here? Bottom line, silent prayer makes us better ministers out there. Oh, I didn't mean to rhyme it. Wasn't that cool? Silent prayer makes us better ministers out there. Write that down. No, don't write that down. Let me, let me put it this way. Have you ever had a special friend, a soulmate, a significant person to you, and you're just sitting somewhere quietly, and you don't have to say anything, and there's a beauty to that. You might be looking at a sunset. You might be looking at the ocean with the waves lapping up to the shore. Uh, you might be on a mountaintop, whatever it might be. And you have these moments of silence with this friend, with this significant person, this soulmate, and it's just a beautiful, sacred moment, and you don't need words. You just sit there and realize that you know you can be still and know that Uh, uh, God is God for the both of you, and it can draw you closer to each other. But silent prayer also draws us closer to those whom we want to reach out there in the world. And that's been fascinating for me to, to research, that prayers of solitude make us better ministers when we engage the world. But these silent moments make us better that way, make us more missional. You know, in Luke chapter 3, 
Jesus prays. What does he do before he really embarks on his three-year mission? He goes to a mountain and prays in solitude and then enters the world with his amazing three-year ministry. And he went off to pray at other times just before he would do amazing ministry. And we can do the same in, in, in moments of stillness and quiet and being away from people. We enter back in, and somehow it, it makes us more um, sensitive to others, more ready to help, more attentive to people's needs, more empathetic. It just does that. And again, the church fathers of the first four centuries write about that a lot. Even more recently, the great writers about prayer, like uh, Thomas Merton and Dallas Willard and Richard Foster and Henry Now and John Ortberg and people like that all say, yes, to have these quiet times alone makes you a better missionary to the world. Fascinating stuff. Thomas Merton put it this way, it is in deep solitude and silence that I find the gentleness with which I can truly love my brothers and sisters. The more solitary I am, the more affection I have for them. Solitude and silence teach me to love my brothers and sisters for what they are, not for what they say. You come to love and accept them more conditionally, and yes, you become a better missionary. Maybe it's because we're in these moments of silence and we just can, can tap into God's holiness and majesty and we have this deep desire to share it with others, to let them know that he is Lord over all things. And I wish I had had this in the first service. A lot of times I'll preach in the first service, somebody comes up and says, hey, you know what else you could add in there? Sometimes they're wrong. But this time, Stevie Ray back here. Everybody look back at Stephen Ray doing the AV stuff back there. There's Stephen. He's our resident Jesus, looks like him and everything. But he's Stevie Ray. By the way, and I've said, some people just ooze goodness. You know what I'm saying? Some people just, Stephen, Stephen Ray just oozes goodness. But he came up to me very quietly as he does. He said, you know, one way you could maybe uh, approach this and talk about how, you know, being silent and all being still helps you make, make you a better minister. Maybe you could just quote the second part of verse 10, <laughs> which is, our text for this morning, but I forgot about the second part of verse 10, which is saying exactly what I'm trying to say here. So I asked Stephen to, to do a new slide. Okay, be still and know that I am God. Out of that, what? I will be honored by every nation. I will be honored throughout the world. Thank you, Stevie Ray. Uh, there it is right there. If we can really give up our control, put our hands down, Find that silent space and, and exult in those moments of silence and solitude with God. We come to recognize all the more the reality that he will be honored by every nation. He will be honored throughout the world. And my gosh, how lucky we are simply to be a part of that story. How lucky we are just to be a part of that mission. Is there a greater gift than that? And there it is right there in that verse. And I'll say one other thing. You know, this, you know, being alone and in solitude helps us to accept people and understand them better. It also makes us better listeners. And of all the quotes I found this week, and I had to post this on Facebook because I love it, I found something that Henry Nouwen, wonderful Henry Nouwen said, and I just love this. He says, somewhere we know that without silence, words lose their meaning. That without listening, speaking no longer heals. That without distance, Closeness cannot cure. I'm going to read that again. Somewhere we know that without silence, words lose their meaning. That without listening, speaking no longer heals. That without distance, 
Closeness cannot cure. Silence that we experience with God can lead to healing of others to whom we minister. Out of silence, yes, we become healers. It's a powerful tool. Going back to what Jim Elliott said at the very beginning, (laughs) silence is a powerful weapon against the evil of this world, the brokenness of this world. I think maybe that's why Satan wants us to avoid it. But what it means by which we reach the world. I love Psalm 62, 1 and 2. This is David writing, my soul waits in silence for God only. From Him is my salvation. He only is my rock and my salvation, my stronghold. I will not be greatly shaken. But the key is, will you be still? Will you drop your hands, stop trying to control everything, and let God be your God? Because you really cannot experience the blessing of silent prayer, and I'll say any prayer, unless you can get to that point. The most important thing to know is to drop our hands, and the dropping of our hands reminds us to yield to the Christ who saved us. Think about how vulnerable He made Himself to the world for you and for me. Can we not just drop our hands for Him and relax and let Him minister to us? Watchman Nee, some of you have heard of Watchman Nee. He was a great Chinese leader in the early 20th century, great Christian man. Went swimming one day when he was at a conference with some Chinese Christian brothers and sisters, and they went to this favorite swimming hole, but something happened, and one of them got a little bit too far away and began to drown. And Nee recorded that, that they were all mediocre swimmers. There was only one really good swimmer, and he was perched up on this high rock just watching all this unfold. And they looked at the man who was just thrashing about, and he was just so scared. You could tell he was just rigid, but he was also thrashing about. And they said, save him, save him. And the guy just sat there on the rock, Save him. The guy went down one time. They said, save him. He, and the guy up here didn't move. Came back up from the water. Save him. And the guy wouldn't move. And Watchman Nee says, I confess to you that I began to hate that brother who wouldn't risk saving him. And he went down one more time. And then suddenly the man on the rock dove in. And with a few swift moves, he brought the young man up to the shore. And Watchman Nee went up to him, the guy who rescued him, and said, why didn't you save him sooner? Why did you wait? And this wise, trained swimmer said, he was thrashing the water so hard and his body was so rigid, he would have taken us both down. And then he said this, I had to wait until he was limp before I could save him. (laughs) Had to wait for him to go limp. I wonder if that's what God is waiting for you and me to do. Let's pray. Forgive us, O God, when we approach you in our strength, for that never works. Help us to approach you in our weakness, with our hands down at our sides, dropped down and vulnerable to you so that we can let you love us, and so that we can savor you in the silence. Help us to learn all the more through our spiritual discipline 
to meet you in those moments of solitude that we may be blessed, but even more that we might be a blessing to others. Because when we know that you are God in that moment of stillness, we recognize that all glory and honor goes to you as you reach the world with your saving word. So make us better disciples by finding you in the silence, the stillness. Amen.